Amen. Well, good morning. How are you this morning? Good. Hey, we're so glad that you're joining us to kick off 2024 here with worship with us today. It is such a beautiful day to be in the house of the Lord. How many of you are still holding, holding tight to your New Year's resolutions? Haven't stumbled at all. One person, a couple, a couple of, okay, okay. How many have slipped up a time or two already? Okay. How many just didn't make New Year's resolutions? There it is. Okay. Okay. You, you can't stop it if you never make it in the first place, right? I, I get it. That, make, that makes sense. Hey, we are so excited that you're here to worship. And I hope, I hope that somewhere, even if you didn't make a New Year's resolution for 2024, that you have still, you still have some plans to grow in your faith, to connect more with God, that, that God and faith to some degree is still a part of your plan and your goals for 2024. And we hope that to some degree we can help you in that as a church in this next year. For the last several months, we've been talking about this big theme, this big idea of community and what community looks like, how God created us from the very beginning of creation with this need for community. He wove it into the fabric of this world, this deep need for us and the world that we live in to have community. And we looked at how he established the Old Testament community of Israel and the nation of Israel, his chosen community, that they were to be his people, he was to be their God. We, we looked at this for several months, and today as we continue this major, this overarching theme of community, we're going to continue to look in the New Testament at this idea of community. We're looking at a couple letters that Paul wrote to the early churches, and it may seem like a different world today, and in many ways it is very different. But there's a lot of ways that this world that we live in today is very similar to the world that Paul wrote these letters to, and a lot of the struggles that we have today are struggles that Paul addressed, and in a similar way in the fall kind of time that we looked at the principles of the Old Testament scriptures, that are still apply to us today. There's principles that Paul talks about that he writes to the letters to the churches and, and these principles that still very much apply to us that we can learn a great deal from. As we've been talking about this idea of community, I was actually having a conversation with Eric not too terribly long ago about all these, these emails that I get at least one a week, usually closer to three or four a week, about a new discipleship program or a new discipleship curriculum or a different way to do discipleship. And as, as the first of the year has come, these emails have just ramped up more and more and more. And I think that the root of this goes back far, far deeper than, than just this idea of discipleship, but it's back to this idea of community. Years ago, now years, years ago, some of you might be old enough to remember years ago, going out and working on the farm with your parents or grandparents, with people in the community. And that's where discipleship happened. My, my guess is that you never called it that, but, but that's what it was. Right? You, you worked all day, and what did you talk about? Talked about life, talked about farming. Talked about marriage, kids, parenting, faith, right? That is discipleship, right? Ladies worked with the older ladies in the community, and when you were done working, you came home and you broke bread. You had meals together with people in the community that you also worked with, and you formed deep relationships. You formed deep community in this world that we live in today. It's not like that, is it? And this isn't a social media, this isn't a technology problem, but most of us 
probably have jobs where we were maybe work by ourselves a good chunk of the day. We're, we don't actually work in community together. If you do, if you do work in community together, then most of the time we have our work life, we have our work community, and then we go home to our family and neighbors and friends. And it's, it's two separate worlds. It's two different worlds all together. And they don't really mesh. They don't, they don't meet for the most part. They don't, they don't meet at all. Have a 30-minute commute, maybe more, going to work and getting away from your your immediate neighbors who work somewhere else. And unfortunately, the same can be true when it comes to church. My guess is a lot of you passed probably five churches on your way here this morning or more. And the thing about community today is because there's so many other jobs, there's so many other opportunities, there's so many other churches that the moment that a relationship gets tricky, the moment that a community gets a little tricky, I can just go somewhere else. I can just peace out. I don't like what was said or how it was said or something just about them just kind of rose, whatever the excuse is, right? it's just, we can just go somewhere else. And that's something that's kind of new in our world today being the last 30, 40 years maybe or so. Right? We, we've lost this ability to lean into tricky conversations and, and difficult conversations and, and to actually hash things out. Whether it be just a friendship, maybe it's a relationship, right? We'll go from boyfriend to girlfriend to the next one until we find someone where it's worth working through the difficult and the tricky because it's worth it, right? We see the same thing in churches. There's a couple other dozen churches around within a decent driving radius that something doesn't go right here. We can just go somewhere else. And that's this community that we formed, which means our community starts to become pretty shallow. It doesn't have deep roots because we don't stick it out. And that means our discipleship has become pretty shallow too. Because we don't have the community that has the deep roots in our lives to speak wisdom into our lives. We don't have the relationships that go you know, years and years to speak wisdom that we trust, who are there with us, who walk with us through thick and thin, through the really hard times. And it makes it hard. It makes it really hard. And a lot of what Paul talks about in these letters to the early churches that we're going to focus on over the next little bit, address some of these struggles, address how hard it is to have some of these conversations, address the motives of which we have these conversations, address this community that we belong to. We've spent a lot of time talking about this local community that we belong to here within these walls, the local church, but we've expanded that to talk about the, the, the big C church, right? That's all believers across the across denominational differences, across state lines, national lines, right? There's so much bigger when we talk about this, this church that we actually belong to, that's the body of Christ, and so much more than this local community, but this community here, this is the one that we choose to be a part of. So over the next few weeks, as we dive into some of these letters, we're going to lean into some of the uncomfortable. We're going to lean into some of the difficult because of what's on the other side, right? If you gave up in every dating relationship, when things got tricky, you'd never get married, 
And we want to lean into some of the difficult here so that we can get to a place of deep community within these walls. We can get to a place of deep discipleship within these walls that we can get to this place with each other here of deep community. And to do that, we got to work through some of the difficult. And so I want to start this series by diving into the book of Ephesians. And Paul really separates Ephesians into two different, uh, in two different major outlines. The first part of Ephesians, uh, he, he kind of outlines the basis of faith, the foundation that he starts with, the rest of the book. And then the rest of the book, as he talks about the community at the church in Ephesus, it's really based on then that foundation that he sets. And I'm so excited to start that today because this is the first Sunday of Epiphany. We've talked about the church calendar for the last uh, little bit, how the church calendar highlights some of the the high points of the Christian faith. We start with the season of Advent before Christmas. We get to the Christmas season, and, and then today is the first Sunday of the season of Epiphany. Now, Epiphany at its core is a season of having our eyes open to who Jesus is. Having our eyes open to who Jesus is, it's, it's explained in Scripture, it's, it's uh, the exclamation point in Scripture is the three wise men coming to see Jesus, offering him these gifts that are for a king, and the declaration that they're making that a king is born. It's exemplified in Scripture when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus, and the heavens open, and God speaks, this is my beloved son. It's that time in the book of Luke when two men are going back to, the, to their town of Emmaus after the crucifixion of Jesus, and a third person comes, and they're talking about the things that have happened, and they say that they don't understand. They thought he was the Messiah, and this third person talks to them about scriptures and how things had to happen the way that they did according to the Old Testament scriptures, and they get back to Emmaus, and, and the third person pretends to go on, but they invite him in for dinner. And as they break bread, as they eat dinner together, they realize that this third person is not just any other person, but that it is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And in Luke chapter 24, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? It's this moment that our eyes are open. We realize who Jesus is, which is why we want to start today in the book of Ephesians. Because this is how Paul starts the book of Ephesians with this revelation, with this this great aha moment, this great mystery revealed, this great moment when we realize the depth of what God did for us and how amazing and beautiful and wonderful it is. And so let's dive in to the book of Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself through sons, as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, I want to be very careful as we dive into this, because this passage in Ephesians is is a heart and core of some debates and some division within the church, unfortunately. If there is a train of thought that looks at this idea of predestination, and we see how God has predestined us in him before time, and and said that, well, well, some of us have been predestined to believe in God, and some of us have not. But that's not what this passage is saying. 
Anytime we try to understand a passage, we want to see what other scriptures say about it, maybe our understanding, our interpretation of it. And if we hop over to 2 Peter, we see other passages that say that this is, this is not what, what God is talking about. This is not what Paul is talking about here. We read this one last week. I'm going to just re-mention uh, re- re- it again. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but is patient towards you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There's this idea that God wants everyone to come to repentance. Paul writes to a young preacher by the name of Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He says, this is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? Multiple places we see about how God's love, how God's desire is for all people to come to the truth. So when we hop back over to Ephesians, what Paul is not talking about is that some he's chosen to believe in him, and some he's chosen that others not. No, let's look carefully at what he says. Verse 5, he's predestined for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. It's not that he's predestined some of us to believe in others, not. But what he's predestined is the means through which we are adopted into his family, being Jesus Christ. From the foundations of the world, from before the foundations of the world, that this was the plan from the very beginning. When God was sitting back, when he was thinking about what he was going to create, he knew that if he gave us free will, that some would choose to follow him and others would choose to fall away. That from the very beginning of time, he knew the outcome that was going to, to happen if he gave us this free will to choose. And so he made a path back to him from the very beginning before he spoke any creation into existence. What he predestines is the means through which we are adopted into his family. I love the way that Dr. David Reese describes this passage. He said, picture a train track. And this train track was laid before the foundations of the world. And with the death and resurrection of Jesus, a train was placed on this track. And this train has cars that go back throughout history. And everyone of faith, because of Christ throughout history, get onto this train. And this train is going to its destination. There is nothing that the enemy can do. There is nothing that man can do. There is nothing that anyone can do to stop this train from getting to its destination. That is what he has predestined. You can choose to get on the train if you'd like. You can choose to get off the train if you would like. But this train, tracks will not be broken. The tracks will not be diverted. The train is not stopping. The train is going to its destination For he has predestined this before the foundations of the world, that we would be adopted through Jesus Christ. Let's continue in verse 7, because it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. And all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I want to reread that last couple verses there. The mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This great mystery that revealed God's will is Jesus to unite all things in him. 
this great mystery of the Old Testament of what God is doing, what he's, he's moving toward, this great mystery that was revealed in Jesus, the good news that Jesus died on the cross to unite us to him. This mystery has been revealed in Jesus and who he is for all people. A couple other places, Paul mentions this mystery, and he makes it clear what this mystery is. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, God wanted to make known to them the glorious riches of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is this mystery revealed that God wants to be in you, that he wants this relationship with you, that Christ came to make that possible and restore that relationship. Later in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs with members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, that this is no longer just a promise for God's people, but it is a promise for all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, that all people can have this relationship restored because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is God's will, that what happened on that cross happened to unite us to God. I capitalize that last part because that's what I want us to really focus on here in 2024 as we set this foundation. So many times in our world, I hear far too many believers talking about heaven and how great heaven is and living in light of heaven. And I understand, I get it. Heaven's going to be wonderful. I can't wait to get there. But what we see in scripture is not living in light of heaven. It's living in the power of the resurrection. Right? It's, it, we don't see Paul saying live good lives because one day heaven. We don't say, see Paul saying get along together because one day heaven. We don't see Paul saying all these things about how we are to live life here because of heaven. No, we see him just saying live life because of Jesus in the resurrection. Because of how Jesus gave him his life for us and defeated death once and for all. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, and live in love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. Live in love because that's the example that Christ gave us. Because that's what he did on the cross. Right? All throughout the New Testament, the authors don't point ahead to heaven. They look behind to the cross as our source of power, as our source of strength, as a source of what God can do in us. It's not the God who, who gave us the spirit of Christ who will one day be with us in heaven. No, it's through the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. The power, the strength, our source of unity that we can have in the church is not in light of heaven. It's because of the resurrection. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's because he came, he lived, and he died and defeated death once and for all. And it's that resurrection, it's that death that was predestined before time to unite us back to him. Heaven's great. I can't wait to get there. But what was predestined is that we would be united back to God. The destination of the train is for us to be united with God. It's the presence of God. That's what's gonna make heaven so wonderful, right? It's not, it's not heaven in and of itself. It's because that's where the presence of God is. Revelation talks about a new heaven and a new earth, right? What's wrong with the, new, the, the current heaven? I don't know. It's the presence of God that we live for. It's the presence of God that, that dwells with us, that came from the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the presence of God that is this destination of the train that unites us in him. 
This is what Christ came for, church. Not just so that we would simply be in heaven one day with him. That's great. Can't wait for that. He came and died so that our relationship with God would be restored. That's the power of our strength. That's where our faith starts from. That's our foundation that we have. That is where it all comes from, church, is the death and resurrection of Jesus. It was realized first when the wise men declared Jesus a king. And it was even seen at his death. Mark chapter 15, there's a Roman soldier who witnesses everything that happened in Verse 39 of Mark 15, when the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Because of his resurrection, we say, truly this man is the son of God. This is what he came for, church. This is what he came to do to mend a broken relationship between us and God. And this is what he wants to continue to do in us through 2024 is mend this relationship between us and God, deepen this relationship between us and God, strengthen this relationship between us and God. This is what he came to do. This is what was predestined. This is the power of our faith. And this is what we want to continue into 2024. So as we come up to this time of communion, we come up to this time of reflection. I just want to ask this morning in the spirit of epiphany that you, we just sit in awe. We just sit in awe of the majesty of God who before the foundations of the world put this amazing, beautiful plan into motion. The awe of God who restores this relationship that we broke. The awe of God with his power and his might where nothing and no one could ever change this plan that he predestined from the beginning of time. I just want us to sit in this awe this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And if you'd like prayer this morning, I'm going to be down here. There'll be other people from our prayer team in the back near the prayer wall back there. And after your time of personal reflection, go ahead and take communion when you feel like you're ready. The bread representing the body of Christ, the, the juice representing his blood shed on the cross. And I just want to ask that during this time, during this, this, this quiet with a little bit of music playing in the background, I just, just sit in awe. Find that place of wonder and awe again. Think back to the time where things finally clicked for you of who God was when you gave your life to Christ for the first time. That moment when it all hit of who he is, what he's done for us, that is all rooted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, you are so, so good. And we love you so much. And in this in this day and age, God, in this time where we are so tempted to come up with a to-do list of things to do in this next year, may we just start by sitting in awe of who you are. God, may we just sit and realize that it's not about what we do. It's about what you did. And may that be the source of our strength. May that be the source of our determination to, to take this message, this gospel to the ends of the earth because of what you did, God. 
this morning, I just pray that we can sit in awe of who you are. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.